Thank you, Andrew. Um, our reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and through to chapter 6, verse 8. And that's on page 7 of the Bibles in the seats in front of you. Genesis chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. And after he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. And after he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived 895 years, and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more, because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived 777 years and then he died. 
After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When, man began, when men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Thank you very much, both of you. Can we give them a round of applause again through all those names? Um, I know we've got some older saints in Grosvenor, but I'm not sure any have quite made it to some of those figures. Um, Um, please do keep chapter 5 and 6 open in front of you, so page 7 and 8. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let me pray. Our Father God, we sang these words earlier, with every breath I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home, and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. Our Father God, we confess how hard we find it to follow Jesus, how hard we find it to keep persevering in him, to keep walking in his ways. And as we come to this text this morning, one that in many ways seems remote from us, we know that it is your living word. And so as we come to it, would your spirit work in us? Would he open our eyes to hear your voice this morning? Would it lead us to understand what you are saying through your written word that we might wonder and rejoice again in your living word, the Lord Jesus, and are increasingly able to follow him until that day when we stand before his throne? We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, One day I noticed that there were red marks on my body. They looked like bites. And I thought, no, it's fleas. And uh, I thought, well, you know, um, I'll I'll just sort of carry on regardless. And it seemed actually that instead of getting better, they just, well, they were still there and they got more and more itchy. And I was like, well, you know, I don't need to do anything about it. They'll go away. They'll go away. The next night, 3 a.m., I woke up and I was just so uncomfortable. 
the marks had really grown and it was just so itchy. I literally spent about an hour trying to soak them in water to try and get rid of the itch. Um, and I had to accept the fact that all was not well. So the next day, um, even though I resisted the day before, I decided I do need to go to the doctor. And I went to the doctor and I said, look, I've got these marks on me. I think it's fleas. He says, it's not fleas. This is an allergic reaction, probably food poisoning. I need to give you some serious drugs. And he did, and it sorted them out. I was given the remedy. Um, all was not well, but I was going to just carry on regardless. And, uh, well, when we look at our world, we can see there's lots that's wonderful, that gives us real joy, but also all is not well. Even this week, as we read some of the headlines, the beating of Tyree Nichols in Memphis, the shootings in Jerusalem, or even just some of those tensions between locals and, and asylum seekers here on our island, all is not well. <clears throat> in Genesis, we've been seeing why the world is the way it is. And if you're here this morning and, and you've not been here for sort of the first part of Genesis, if you go to the Grosvenor website and, and back to sort of September through to November last term, you'll be able to listen back to that. But what we saw was in the beginning, God made the world, and it was paradise, a place full of wonder and joy. And then He made us human beings in His image, to enjoy His world, to rule His world, to reflect His glory. But humankind, well, we walked out on life with God, and sin entered the world and us. And so after the beginning, we've been living with the consequences of this ever since. Well, we come to chapter 5, and uh, the first bit of chapter 6 this morning, and as life continues in this after-the-beginning world, the situation is not good. In fact, we're going to see that then and now, the situation was way worse than we think. So the doctor said to me, it's not fleas, this is way worse than you think. We cannot carry on regardless. We need the remedy. We're going to see three things this morning as we look at this passage. Here's the first thing to see. We're going to look at three things. Here's the first thing. Death, all is not well. You get to the beginning of chapter 5, and actually it's an encouraging start. So this is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female and bless them. And when they were created, he called them man. Sin's not completely cancelled out the image of God in mankind, the blessing of God in mankind. And as we saw last week, excuse me, God's common grace, his kindness means that life carries on. And so people multiply and fill the earth. So verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness. In his own image, he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. Life carries on. But did you hear the drumbeat through this passage? 
that shows us all is not well? Verse 5. Although Adam, altogether Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. Those words, and then he died, uh, translate from an original, a uh, one word apparently in the original, one word. And so what you get is, well, Adam lived 930 years, died. Seth died. Enosh died. Canaan died. Mahalalel died. Jared died. Methuselah died. Lamech died. Have you heard that same drumbeat in your own life and experience? I have. Grandparents died. Brother died. Every death a painful reminder that all is not well. It's not how it's supposed to be. Now, even those of us here who are followers of the Lord Jesus and, and who've been to one of those Christian funerals and we know that when we're there, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. There's real hope. But we still grieve. In fact, any time the echoes of death are felt in life as we live it, the, the dreams that die, the relationships that die, our health slowly dying, it's all a reminder that all is not well. But as we read through chapter 5, did you also hear that for one person the drum didn't beat? Enoch, from verse 21. Now, different to the Enoch back in chapter 4, certainly different to the Enoch who's in the news at the moment. 23, altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. And then he was no more because God took him away. The details are actually so sparse, aren't they? Like, how was he taken? How did people know that he had gone? What was the effect on those who were left behind? Well, we just don't know. <clears throat> but what is clear is that here in the midst of this, there is still hope, still a possibility that for those who've walked out on life with God, there's a possibility to return to God, to walk with God again. There's still hope, possibility in a world of sin and death to have a life that endures beyond the grave. And actually, I think here's the first Old Testament pointer to eternal life. Death. A reminder that all is not well. And yet Enoch, a reminder that all is not lost. Here's the second thing we're going to look at. A majority of our time on this section depravity. We are not well. Now, for some of you, that word depravity, uh, you might be just like, I have no idea what that means. It, it, it basically means sort of moral corruption, evil. 
This next section, chapter 6, is about this kind of stuff, about the effects of sin. There was a story of a, a wife who was um, ill at home and so sent her reluctant husband off to church. And uh, when he came back, well, she, she asked him, you know, like, um, how was church? And he said, long. And she said, well, well like, what, 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 was this, what was the sermon about? What, what did he speak on? He said, sin. And she said, well, what did he say about sin? He was against it. <laughs> what do these verses say about sin? Chap- chapter 6, actually, um, I'd say particularly the first three, if not the first four verses, are some of the trickiest in the, the Old Testament, and there is so much debate about what this may or may not n- mean. So, what I want us to do just for a moment is just to actually think, what do you do when you get to a passage where it's difficult to understand what on earth is going on? So, like, who are the sons of God and the daughters of men? Who are the Nephilim? And what, what is happening here? First thing to do is to look at the context. Is there anything about the sons of God and the daughters of men in the surrounding verses or the surrounding chapters or even the whole book that will help us out? And actually, I think the answer is really no. Um, there's one suggestion, if you, do, if you do try and look wider, are the sons of God um, maybe Seth's family line, the sort of um, replacement for Abel's family line, while the daughters of men come from Cain's more corrupted family line, maybe. Um, also, maybe a bit of a stretch, not least because sins affected the whole of mankind at this point. Um, so, what do you do next? Well, second thing, does the whole Bible help? As we look at the whole Bible and what it says about the kind of things we're reading here, is there anything that can help us? And what we find, actually, is that in one or two places, particularly the book of Job, angels are called sons of God. But then we think, you know, how can angels marry and have sex with humans? I mean, Jesus says angels do not marry and we will not be given in marriage. But what we do find in, in a few verses in 1 Peter, in 2 Peter, and in Jude are passages about falling angels, fallen angels engaging in sin at the time of Noah and the flood. So another suggestion is that fallen angels possessed human bodies like the demon possession that was going on when Jesus walked on the earth, possessed human bodies and married humans. And because God made everything according to its kind, this mixing is not right, not good. Well, I think we still have a whole load of questions. Here's the third thing, and maybe this is the most helpful when we come to passages like this. What is clear? So actually, when we come to difficult to understand passages, what are the things that are really clear? Because God actually, in His Word, the things that are most important are most clear. And God's response is that He will not tolerate this. This is clear. And so verse 3, He says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. So clearly, what is going on? There is something wrong. 
And so God limits life to 120 years. So from those extraordinary ages back in chapter 5, well, what we find is that those numbers decrease and decrease. And by the time you get to chapter 11, Genesis, nearly everyone lives 120 years or less, just like today. It's clear that as God blesses and mankind increases, so also does sin. Well, if you're confused enough yet, let's jump onto the Nephilim, verse 4. Um, again, there's great debate. Um, I, I think it's, it seems that they're not produced by the marriages of, of verse 2, because it says, um, verse 4, they were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. They were already on the earth when this was happening. And actually, I think this seems not to be a different species. So again, end of verse 4, they were heroes of old, men of renown. These are just men, actually. Why are they mentioned? There's again debate. What is clear? Well, I think again, whoever is on the earth at this stage, whatever is going on, it is not good. Jody reminded us of this just a little bit earlier. Do you remember when God made the world and he saw the lands and the seas, he said, it's good. When he saw the plants and the trees, he, he said, it's good. When he, when he saw the sea creatures and the birds and, and the animals on the land, he said, it's good. When he made mankind and he saw all that he had made, he said, it is very good. Now compare chapter 6 and verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Not good. I think for me this is one of the most sobering lines in the Bible. Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart, only evil, all the time. Sin is extensive. Every person. It's intensive. Every heart. And maybe we read this and we go, wow, what a dreadful world that must have been. How glad I am I don't live in that world, that, that I live in the world after the flood. Well, I'd love you to turn with me to chapter 8 and verse 21. Have a look at this. Here is... The beginning of life after the flood. And the Lord speaking, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. <laughs> Nothing has changed. It's the same after. And you know, it's actually the same today. That is what we're really like. Um, I think 
estate agents are masters at sort of hiding what things are really like. Have you ever had that experience of sort of looking at, uh, at houses and, you know, they say, well, it's got a sea view. And yeah, it does. If you climb all the way up to the attic, you lean out the attic window with a telescope and just between those two houses over there, you can see the sea. Or, or it says, you know, unique features because it has this fireplace and this sort of ceiling decoration. But it also has the dry rot and the broken floorboards. I'd just love it if one time they just told us how it was. You know, it said something like this. Um, this Rathmines property that we're delighted to offer to you, well, don't be led astray by the exterior. It is worse inside. <laughs> and, you know, so are we. Don't be led astray by the exterior. We are worse inside. Do we look good when we, we come out on a Sunday, scrub up for church, or we hold it together when we're, we're at work or school? Like sometimes the reality pops out, maybe particularly in the home, whether we're alone or with others, that, that selfishness, that sin, that meanness. Whatever we look like on the outside, we are worse inside. And, you know, I would be horrified if you were able to open up my heart and see some of the things that I think, some of the motives for why I do what I do. We're good at hiding. But God sees. Back in chapter 6, the Lord saw. What does God see? Well, it's what the theologians call total depravity. And that, that does not mean we are as bad as we could be. God's kindness curbs that in, in many different ways. What it means is that every thought, every action, every desire, every word is spoiled, affected, tainted by sin, right to our hearts. Let me give you an illustration of this. Here's some uh, beautifully crystal clear refreshing water, okay? Here's my deadly poison. I just put a couple of drops into that water. Now this water is not as deadly as it could be. It's not 100% poison. Every bit of this jug is now affected, tainted, spoiled. And that's what sin is like in us, right to our hearts. Now, we want to say, but, you know, surely it is possible for people to, you know, do good. You know, maybe you're thinking about that situation in school, that there was that new kid who arrived in, or a refugee arrived in in the middle of the year, um, just did not know his way around school, and that sixth year just went up 
befriended him, told him where he needed to be and what he should do. Um, that's got to be good, isn't it? Of course it is. Of course it's good, comparatively good. And the Bible does allow us to use good, the word good in that way, but it also says that it's not truly or perfectly good. For that to happen, it needs to be a good action coming from a truly pure good motive. No selfishness, no desire for praise or promotion. And from a right orientation to God. A good relationship with God. For God's glory alone. Is that what God sees as he looks at the world? What did he see then? Verse 5. How great man's wickedness on earth had become. Every inclination. Only evil. All the time. And the same then as now. The same for them as for me. God's response. Well, verse 6. Grief and pain. The Lord was grieved that he'd made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. I was chatting to a father who was talking about how he had done all he could. He had loved his adult daughter through her life. He loved her so much. He tried his best, but she now did not want anything to do with him. She didn't want him in her life. He wasn't the perfect father. None of us are perfect, but he loved her, and the grief and pain was palpable. God is the perfect father. He loved and gave us a once perfect world. And each time you or I, we, we choose to go our own way or we spurn his love, we ruin his world or one another, it pains God. Now we need to be careful as we read this verse. It doesn't mean this took God by surprise. It's clear elsewhere that God knew, even permitted all of this. It doesn't mean it, he, he made a mistake. And when it uses that language of sort of um, he, he was grieved or regretted in some translations, it, it's using language to help us grasp as human beings the heart of God. It, it doesn't mean that, you know, if God could go back, he would do it differently, that he, he, he would do things different. Rather that he wished we would. The, the Bible seems to, be, seems to say this is not a sort of failure of plan A and so he moves on to plan B. No, actually it's all part of God's great purposes. He, he knew from the beginning and, and actually knew that this would mean he would have to send his only son. Now, that leaves us with a whole host of other questions. Actually, I meant to say this at the beginning. I was chatting to someone before the service going, I didn't really get last week at all. Um, please ask your questions. Ask your questions of one another, but I'd love to hear questions, comments. You can email me during the week. Um, just, we need to thrash these things out, but I think this particularly leaves us with so many questions. How, how is God 
in control of all and how does that fit with humans really having choices that really matter? But here, what we do see clearly is that God loves. Because it's the love that causes the grief and pain. Those that he made in his image. Now, sin has infected right to the core. And actually, it's because he loves and cares that judgment happens as he talks about it in verse 7. Now, we, we say, really? How can such a loving God also be angry? Surely the, the opposite of love is anger and judgment. Well, no, it's not, actually. The opposite of love isn't anger, it's indifference. It's not caring. It's just shrugging shoulders and saying, ah, oh, it just doesn't really matter. You see, God cares. He cares as he sees the bombs fall or the workers exploited, or the lies told, or the harsh words, or the selfish acts. If he did nothing, what kind of God would he be? It's because he cares he has to deal with evil. He cannot let evil go without any response. He cannot let evil win. And here's the third thing we're going to see. Destruction. The future will not go well. Have a look at verse 7. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind who I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. He says he'll reverse all the good that he made, total wipeouts, destroy every person, every creature. It's so hard for us to hear this. It's really hard for me to say it. And one way sometimes people deal with this is they go, well, you know, that was the God of the Old Testament. He's not like that anymore. He's not like Jesus. Do you know that Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody else in the Bible? He said this, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to be thrown into hell. He says, repent before it's too late. He says, it's darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. He said that one day he will judge the earth just as it happened in Noah's day. Jesus says, judgment is coming. Our problem it shouldn't be, oh, it's unfair for God to judge or, or unloving. The, the problem is, that we don't actually see how much worse we are inside. The purpose of the flood then was to judge sin, but for us it's to warn us of coming judgment, of the fact that one day God will judge again. How can we be ready? Well, like my allergic reaction, we need help. We can't sort this out on our own. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you know the answer, then we need to warn others. Point them to the answer. But, but how? Where is this answer to death and depravity and destruction? Well, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. But Noah found favor 
in the eyes of the Lord. It could equally be translated, Noah found grace, undeserved kindness. Alec Matea is, uh, well, was an Irish Bible scholar. Um, he, he uh, born here in Dublin, went to the high school up in Ratgar, off to Trinity College after that. Um, he says this, you won't understand this verse unless you read it backwards. In other words, grace found Noah. How about us? Where do we find grace? How does grace find us? Well, it's in the one who came from heaven to earth for us. He came full of grace and truth. The one who never walked out on life with God, always walked with his Father perfectly. The one who had no sin on the outside and no sin on the inside. The one who never grieved his father by what he did. But, you know, even as Jesus walked this earth, he wasn't an unemotional kind of robot. When he saw sin, it made him rightly angry. At one point, he's chatting with the religious leaders, and they are angry that a disabled person is going to be healed. And Jesus is angry with them. When he saw the consequences of sin, it too made him grieve, weep at the graveside of Lazarus. And when he suffered, he too knew pain. Yet he came for us to die for us, to be made sin as if he was depraved for us, to be destroyed. Take the full right anger of God at our sin on himself for you and for me so that we might find grace. The Christianity Explored course puts it like this. We cannot earn it. We don't deserve it. In fact, we deserve the opposite, God's punishment. But all who trust in Jesus are freely forgiven and receive it joyfully as a gift. That is grace. Death. All is not well. Depravity. We are not well. What we deserve is destruction. A future that will not end well. But if we found grace, or, or grace has found us, if Jesus has found us, all is changed. Instead of death, there is new life. Instead of depravity, new hearts. Instead of destruction, a new hope. And we can, by grace, now live free from the fear of death. And one day, like Enoch, even if we do die, God will take us to be with him. We are no longer depraved. In that total way. With new hearts we live now. Not just for ourselves or for this life. But for others. For God's kingdom. And by grace. Do you know what? When God sees you. And me. He now smiles. 
We're now able to please God, experience his pleasure. Should we resolve this week to live in a way that makes our God pleased and not grieved? You see, because of Jesus, all is well. It is well with my soul. Let's just take a moment to pause, reflect, maybe pray in your own hearts to the Lord, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Our great God, we come to these words in your word and it is so uncomfortable to hear. We don't like having to face what we are like deep down inside. And yet we know that you tell us this for our good, for our eternal good, that we might face up to the reality of the problem, that all is not well, that we are not well, and find in you, in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus, the remedy that we need. And for those of us who know that grace, who have maybe known it for many years, we pray that it would change us. That we would know the reality of having new life, new hearts, and new hope the wonder of a relationship with you where you look on us in pleasure and acceptance and love. Please help us, we pray. Amen.